I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it bring it to the- Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, my name is Mark, and I will be representing Liverpool Football Club. I am on Twitter, but it's a locked account, so you probably won't be able to find me, but it's uh, Mr. Mark Simpson, if you do. Hi guys, I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight 88 my name is Dylan Arvella, and I'll be talking about Manchester United on this podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Dylan Eloy Arvella. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Up first, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. We're going to start off with you, Mark. I think last time we had you on, you had just beaten Chelsea. We have you on again. You've done it again. Uh, how are you feeling after that win? I think I'm only ever going to come on when Liverpool win away at the bridge from now on. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it seems to be a, a, a good omen. Um, it, I'm ecstatic. You know, I had a really good feeling going into the game um, that we were going to at least get a draw. Um, whenever I am on this podcast, I know it is once a year at the moment, but I do bang on about the importance of, of averaging 10 out of 15 points consistently every five games and with a win. It took us up to that ten, that magical ten points, and even more impressive seeing that we've been to the Emirates, we've been to White Hart Lane, and now we've been to the Bridge. So three out of the four toughest away games uh, of the season, in my opinion, have just been boxed off. Um, the game itself, um, I know Chelsea and, and Ivanovic were, were largely at fault, but we took advantage of it, and we got two goals, two goals in at half time. You sort of knew that there was going to be a a bit of a comeback from Chelsea in that second half, which obviously it came and we didn't help ourselves. But the most impressive thing this season compared to last season um, is that when we do like suffer a fault, like a, a lapse in concentration, the 10 to 15 minutes afterwards, we are sort of getting our head and we are bossing the game and we are working the game management is a, is a lot better this year, uh, which has been really impressive. And um, 2-1, it could have easily been 3-1 if Origi had put away that headed chance but you know moving forward now um with, with, with Hull coming up next we've got a really good chance now to to push on and, and get some serious points on the board before going to Old Trafford in, in a few weeks time big question that's been floating around the Liverpool ether lately has been Daniel Sturridge and his unwillingness to say that he plays out wide but a lot of times he's drifting out wide now you have to accommodate Firmino back in there, even though he did not make the trip in this match. How do you think you'll most frequently line up this season? Will it be with Sturge up top? Will it be with Firmino? Kind of as that false nine? You know, the funniest thing and about that that apparent quote was you, you've got to take it in context. The journalist asked 
ask this guy, where does he prefer to play? And he's, he's obviously, he's a centre forward. He's going to say centre forward. And the media asked this question for a reason. And obviously, when an answer gets figured, it's their job to spin it. And it came out of all this theory that he, he hates being played out, out wide. But anybody who watches uh, Liverpool games, and you know, I, I obviously watch quite a few of them, um, knows that in this current um, Jurgen Klopp formation, the three forward players, which has mostly been Coutinho, Firmino, Armani, or uh, Sturridge and Coutinho, or Sturridge and uh, Firmino, they don't s- stick in a one position. That they, they rotate a heck of a lot. A lot of the times you'll see Mane as the, as, as the front runner, or sometimes you'll see it being Coutinho. It, it, it switches and it's fluid, and the defenders haven't got a, haven't got a clue what, what, what's coming next. Um, so that question was obviously asked for a reason. Sturridge obviously gave his answer, and his answer was then spun into millions of different uh, directions. And it, it was a bit crazy, a bit mad. But I mean, in my personal opinion, I, I reckon for the majority of away games, especially in the big away games, when you've got a fully fit um, forward line, you will see Coutinho, Firmino, and Mane because of the options and the running. And the the movement that Firmino offers that maybe a Sturridge doesn't offer, and at home games when you're playing against the likes of say Hull or a Burnley, you may see more, more likely to see a Sturridge up top because against a team that sits back so much, and you're only only going to get a chance for a, a touch and a strike, and it's and it's literally seconds. There's no better player out there in my opinion than than Sturridge, and, and he scores goals and he's, he's broken records at, at Liverpool. Um, but this is, for, for the first time in quite a few years, we've got options, which is the most important thing. No, no defence can set up against us at present moment in time because if you, if, if you were a team that, that presses a high line, like Tottenham did the other week, then Mane will, will, will absolutely kill you with his pacing behind. Um, if you have a, a deep line defence, like, like, for example, uh, Leicester did the other week, then someone like Firmino and Sturridge will take advantage of it because of the trickery and, and the close control in the box. And if you have a mid-block, then that, that's going to suit someone like Coutinho or Firmino down to the ground because they will hold the ball up and then you've got the on-running Lallana and, and uh, Gini Wijnaldum in, in this new sort of 4-3-3 formation. And, and, it's the, and the guys that are running on uh, and going in front of the forward, then they'll take advantage of it. So it's really impressive this year. I mean, I was really intrigued before the Arsenal game at how Jurgen Klopp was going to line up and it will be even more interesting when we've got a fully fit team because we're still minus Emery Shan, who's, who's probably the first name on the team sheet. We're, we're, we're down on, on Karius, who's our first-choice goalkeeper at the moment. So when everybody's back and everybody's fit and firing... You know, we've we've got we've got so many options at present moment in time, and Jurgen Klopp has got everybody bought in, and I do believe it's from making these signings early, getting everybody off to pre-season early. You know, all all the major signings was done, and he's had a full proper pre-season with these guys, and and, it, and it's really proven dividends. Yeah, well, from that very big win to uh, Jim, who Leicester have proved the doubters wrong a lot this week with a win in the Champions League, and obviously a very big win and the Premier League as well. Obviously, some people doubted your ability to keep up you know, any semblance of performance from last season. I'm assuming from what we've seen this week that you believe the contrary. Yeah, I'm not going to go on record and say we're going to win the Premier League again. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no? We, That's so weird. 
it's it's difficult. We we obviously made such a mixed start to the campaign. It's it was difficult to maybe ascertain quite what to expect from Leicester this year, based on the fact you know we we opened the the campaign with a loss to Hull, um, drew with Arsenal again decent result in in hindsight at home, um, keep them out and kind of keep a clean sheet. But then we go and get duffed up by by Liverpool. But then a lot of good teams will get roundly spanked by Liverpool this year by the looks of it because they're operating at a very high level at the moment Klopp is getting a fine tune out of a really attacking team and that's great to watch so um, it was good to kind of bounce back with two wins in a week two three nil wins two clean sheets um, obviously a nice start to our Champions League campaign as well um, I don't think we could have found a, a better opponent really to start against than Bruges um, they were pretty average Um I can't see them doing much this year. And if they play like they did against us, there's every chance that they could potentially finish the group with zero points. Um, so, you know, that was great to kind of bounce back from the Liverpool win so quickly. Um, obviously, a quite a quick turnaround, really. Wednesday night away game to a Saturday afternoon um, match. A lot of times, sometimes if you're on, on Wednesday, you, you sometimes get a Sunday game. Um, but it was just one of those things, you know, um, at least it was a home game against a winnable opponent where we really kind of didn't really have to get out of third gear. Um, Burnley are kind of one of the better matchups, I guess, for Leicester in the sense that their attacking threat tends to be long balls um, over the top and to, to Andre Gray, who, yeah, he's quick, but that relies on him getting the ball down and being able to control it, whereas we're able to just kind of head the balls away 90% of the time and relying on something really, really special, either from a set piece or, you know, a great piece of skill to, from him to be able to, to open the scoring. So we always look quite comfortable and um, I just felt like it was a good deal. It was a home debut from Soleimani as well, stepping up and kind of bringing something that we don't really have or we haven't had um, a lot in the team since Leonardo Ujoa lost his starting place to um, Shinji Okazaki for the most part. So, Neither him or Ahmed Musa bring that kind of aerial presence um, at set pieces, and kind of he's he's not slow. The guy's you know relatively quick across the ground. He was chasing down the defenders and stuff and putting pressure on. So he's obviously buying into the high press system, um, and he's just a, a bull of a guy. I mean, I didn't realise quite how big he was until I saw him in person um, in the ground on on Saturday. The guy is huge. Um, he's going to cause some real problems in the air for a lot of teams this year. So it's an exciting sign, and it's good to see. You know, we've we've broken the transfer record a couple of times this year. It's good to see that. that hopefully, the reason they've done that is someone who's really going to be able to produce on the biggest stage. Yeah, you brought up Slimani a fair bit there. It looks like you're you'd prefer to play him alongside Vardy. We used to talk about the Albrighton versus Musa thing. It seems like Albrighton has locked down that spot for himself. Uh, do you think we'll see those other guys more in rotations in the Champions League, or do you think that this is truly like each week a different guy could win the job? Yeah, I think it depends um, kind of how fitness-wise people are going. Obviously, we've played three games in eight days um, now, so there's a obviously we'll we'll see a full eleven change. Well, ten um, plus the goalkeeper um, Zila will probably play in the the midweek game against Chelsea. Um, I think apart from that, it will see a full um, 10 outfield players change. And then I think going forward, it'll just be a case-by-case basis. It might well be matching up opposition in terms of who we feel is weakest against certain um, types of um, attack, You know, whether it be that we go to a 4-3-3 or we stick with a 4-4-2. But I mean, certainly from the early interplay between Vardy, um, Mares and Soleimani, they look a kind of well-oiled unit already, which is a scary prospect considering Soleimani's only probably trained with the team 
a handful of times because we wouldn't have trained the day after Bruges. He didn't arrive back from international duty with Algeria until Thursday last week. So he's probably only had three or four training sessions, I guess, at full tilt with, with kind of the rest of the team. So hopefully there's some more kind of improvements come out of that relationship. There's an uh, existing relationship there um, with Mares already from the national team. So that's a really kind of decent prospect for us. And I think those two will be the first choice. Um, Vardy certainly is... Um, a regular kind of 90-minute player um, or has been for the last couple of years. His fitness is kind of an insane level. It might just be the case of, as as you saw on Wednesday, both of the guys come off around the half an hour, 70-minute mark. Don't push them too hard when we're already comfortable in the game. Um, give them a, a kind of rest for the, for the rest of the match. Let the other guys do the running and then they're in better p- condition to, to take Burnley on on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very much horses for courses in that sense, but... I think Ranieri has obviously got a lot to, to choose from. We've got options, you know, an eighteen million pound man in terms of Musa um, on the bench is not a bad option to have, and, and Leo and Shinji. So, yeah, there's there's plenty of options there. It's just a matter of kind of who we think feels best. I'd certainly agree with you in the Albrighton assessment. Um, I think Musa's got a long way to, to go before he secures a, a starting spot with Albrighton. It almost seems to have upped his game another level this year. Um, yesterday was uh, or, or Saturday as we, as we recorded, he was absolutely brilliant. So um, I think he's got a lot of work to do, really, unless he wants to be restricted to, to kind of cup games and, and uh, kind of twenty minutes off the bench here and there. Yeah, we'll definitely be interesting to see how that all pans out at Leicester. Dylan, glad to have you back on. Maybe you're not so glad after your recent run of performances, um, Mourinho losing three straight games. I think I saw in a decade is obviously not something you were expecting when you signed him and all these big-name players in the offseason. What have you made of, of Manchester United's week on the whole, and how do you think you could bounce back? Yeah, so it hasn't been the easiest week to be a Manchester United fan. Um, like, you, like you said, a lot of Man United fans were not expecting this. After big wins against Bournemouth, Southampton and Hull, Manchester United's world was really sort of come crashing back to reality with three defeats in a week. And like you said, yeah, that was the first time since 2005, I believe, that Mourinho's lost three in a row. Uh, There was a Manchester derby last week, which has been touched on pretty much everywhere. But just briefly for me, if a United fan says they deserved a point uh, in that match, they're they're definitely lying because I think Manchester City completely outplayed us, which is which is a, a huge concern, and they look to be running away with the league in that sense. Um, but after that came the Feyenoord match in Europa League. Feyenoord, they're currently top of the Eredivisie, but still the quality is questionable. Like They've got the likes of Brad Jones in goals, who isn't a very good goalkeeper. And But Jose, he came out before the match and said that it's not a competition that Manchester United see themselves being in, which is frustrating for me and I imagine for a lot of fans because um, players seem to take any excuse to not to not put in 100% and that sort of so, sort of panned out like that. Um, United set up in a 4-3-3 uh, like many fans had been calling for 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 a lot of the season, that was because Wayne Rooney was left at home, which was always going to be the case in Europa League, which gave Pogba, who who has been struggling, but I still, oh, you'd be stupid not to back him, really. Um, but he was given a license to sort of roam around, but he wasn't, he didn't really seem prepared for that, which is a bit disappointing. And United as a whole seemed very unprepared for that match as if they hadn't been training for that formation and that particular match. And 
the likes of Marcus Rojo and Ashley Young, they came into the fold for the first time uh, in this competitive season, which shows that United still have a lot of fat to trim around the squad that, that aren't really up to the level of the United sides of a decade ago. And United, where they want to go, those sort of players probably don't, not not even probably, they don't really have a part a part to play in a successful United future. But moving on from that game, uh, the game today against Watford, I was I was pretty confident going to going into that match. But uh, the concern was always Big Troy Deeney, who, who who was very impressive for Watford. Um, in the first half, Watford really had the better of United, and they should have they should have been up by two. The first one there was an. Uh, miscommunication between Smalling, who came back into the Premier League for his first Premier League match of the season, and David De Gea, and De Gea sort of flapped at it. But well, I think it was Smalling's fault, and it fell to Igalu, and Igalu of last season, or the first half of last season, would have put um, Watford 1-0 up, and then there was a great save by De Gea, by De Gea which, which sort of really rattled, really rattled United, and then... Um, Martial, he took a knock, um, which which seemed like a concussion, and then a couple of minutes later he sat, he stayed on, which sort of led to the goal. It, sorry, I messed that bit up. Um, there was he was he was fouled, and Mourinho's complained about that in the post match press conference. That left to the Etienne Capu goal, which um, I'm sure Kev you'd agree that's a very strange a strange goal scoring streak that he's on. Mm. Um, but to be fair, I sort of see it as a bit of karma because karma towards Mourinho because Martial shouldn't have been on the field. He was clearly concussed. Um, and after that goal, Ashley Young was subbed on for him. Were, and then really for the next sort of 20 minutes, we struggled to sort of get in, back into it. But after the, after the break, we really pushed on. Uh, Rashford got, got the equaliser. And... I was with a couple of mates and we were all pretty confident that United were going to go in and win that match. But then um, really our attack lacked lacked any sort of direction, any venom, which compared to Manchester City a week ago against us, they they were very, very potent in attack. And then Zuniga came on for Watford and with his first touch, he scored a lovely goal, which credit to him, I think that was his, might have been his second game for Watford. Um and then United were they, were they were really scrapping for it, but nothing, no no real chances. A couple of long range shots from um, Pogba, but there there really wasn't anything. Fellaini he gave away a penalty in the dying seconds, which was clumsy. But um, most United fans have sort of let let the go the game go by by that stage. United in that match, they were given four yellow cards for abusing the referee. Um, which which I feel shows that they weren't in control of themselves, and that's a pressing concern. And it'll be very interesting to see if Mourinho can halt this slide before it turns into a complete derail, derailment. It's it's early on, but after Chelsea last season, Mu doesn't really have the runs on the board that I think he thinks he has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely on... Well, I don't want to say definitely on a short leash, but obviously after what happened at Chelsea... It's a lot shorter than it had been at previous clubs considering his prior successes. The defense, obviously, not very good. In this one, is any part of that, do you think, having to get Smalling back in there, no daily blint, and Eric Baye has not covered himself in glory after those two first amazing matches? Do you think the defense is the problem right now? 
Um, it's it's one of the issues. I I was saying to saying to my mate earlier today that Chris Smalling he was he was sort of the leading light for Manchester United, or at least the defence last season. But really, the United where they want to be if they want to be a top five, top four, three club in the world, he's not the defender for that. Um, and really, he's been found out on a lot, on a lot of occasions, even last year, that he isn't. He isn't really the best technical defender. His pace makes up for a lot of his deficiencies in that sense. And I feel that Eric Bay, he started the season really well, and he has the potential to be really good. Um, But, yeah, I'm not sure if the communication's really there between Smalling and Bay. And it also wasn't present for the first goal um, against Manchester City last week with uh, Daley Blind messing up messing up on that occasion. But Blind also doesn't seem to be the answer for Mourinho's side under at, at left-sided centre-back. Um, but I don't really know what the options options are. Fosu Mensa hasn't got a look in this year, which I thought that he was going to be a real Mourinho-type player. Um, Luke Shaw does look good, but that's always been a more attacking mood, mood, uh, attacking position rather than a defensive one. Valencia's not a proper right back, even though he has been playing very well there. Um, and I mentioned like like our backups are your likes of Phil Jones, who who's really struggled in the last few years. Marcos Rojo, who isn't a very good defender. When we signed him from Sporting, he wasn't their best defender at the time, so. I don't know where Mourinho goes from here. I was, we were pretty confident, like I mentioned at the start, after uh, you know our late winner against Hull and going into the international break. But we're not sure where United fans aren't sure where to look now. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. For Tottenham, today we'll start with was pretty crazy uh, lineup to, to really begin the day with Pochettino making loads of changes. We had Vertonghen at left back, which uh, unlike 
uh, Mark, your Surge comments where it was a little taken out of context. Bertongen is not taken out of context when he says he never wants to play left back, um, despite his constant uh, position there for Belgium. Um, so that came as a surprise. We played Dyer at left-sided center back. So not only did we pull him out of position, quote-unquote, because he has been playing in the midfield for the better part of a year, but we also put him on the wrong side, with which Pochettino is known to not like to do. Kind of begs the question where Kevin Vimmer is. Wasn't even on the bench. If we don't see him against Gilliam, then we're going to have some serious questions about what's going on with him and Tottenham. Because we've had this with players before. where players that were very crucial for us the previous season. Oh Well, Vimmer wasn't crucial, but the two months where Vertonghen was out, he stepped in and did a phenomenal job. But we've we've seen players like that just randomly disappear with Adebayor. It happened to Capu. It happened to Bentaleb. Um, under Pochettino, where all of a sudden something happens and then they're just never seen from again, uh, or heard from again, sorry. Hopefully that is not the case because I do really like Vimmer and think he's a very, very talented young center back. Um, so anyway, those were all very strange. Musa Sissoko gets his first full start because there's space because neither Eric Lamella or Christian Eriksen get the start, which I thought was uh, obviously bold, but they were both on tired legs somewhat, so you can understand it. I just didn't expect to see so many changes at once. Um, but again, I think we'll have a clearer shape of, of how these squads are going to break down after we see what happens at the League Cup. I'd expect a lot of rotation. Uh, as Jim was saying, we'll see with Leicester. I think we'll see Onoma, maybe Harry Winks, maybe even a, a Cameron Carter-Vickers signing. I would really like to see because these are all players that really would have thrived if we were in the Europa League this year. Because those are the matches where we would rotate and give the youth a chance. We don't have that luxury this year because we are in the Champions League. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll see how long for. Um, but we aren't able to give those kids the same kind of chance. So I, I hope that we do play a lot of the kids and I hope that we win. Um, I know a lot of the bigger clubs not so worried about this competition. But this is really the main place where a lot of those young kids will get a shot. And I really do want to see what we have in Onoma. I know his uh, advancement is why we felt so comfortable letting both Pritchard and Mason go. Uh, He can play in central midfield as an attacking midfielder. He's played out on the wing for us probably the most often um, when he's played with the first team, just because we lack a little bit of depth on that right wing. Um, But anyway, it was a very strange lineup today. Uh, But we were very uh, effective throughout the pitch. Just maybe not in front of goal. I'll get to that in a second more. Um, But we dominated the majority of this match. Uh, They had one decent chance, Stephen Pienaar, uh, funnily enough, formerly of Tottenham for about six months. I don't know how many people will recall that. Um, Anyway, he had a guilt-edge chance. uh, But quick thinking from Kyle Walker helped kind of quell the threat. He had a goal-line clearance that was was very much needed because Lloris was on the other side of the goal. Uh, So was very pleased that we shut that down because that's what got us at Monaco. Uh, were, were things like that, small mistakes or just unlucky bounces that led to goals. So we did prevent that, helped us get the win. Uh, I'll get into individuals more uh, when we get to uh, player watch. But Kane does score again. But as I was joking around with uh, Mark before, who's a fantasy owner of Kane, uh, the problem with that is that his first touches in front of goal are really A, unnecessary, and B, not very good. Both last week... Uh, and this week, he should have scored first time, but instead collected himself, put it into goal. It's very good that he's that calm in front of goal. But also, please just hit him first time going forward, because it just raises a whole lot of nerves. Although, he won't be able to do it immediately, uh, because unfortunately, he did pick up an ankle injury in this one. It's not If you see the picture or the slow-mo, it looks much, much worse than it was. Is it a bad ankle injury? To an extent. He'll probably be out two to three weeks. But... 
it could have been much, much worse. It could have been a high ankle sprain. We could have seen him out for maybe a month, month plus. Could have had actual ligament damage. Could have actually snapped bone or something like that. It's none of those things, uh, I would assume. We're going to have the full medical information tomorrow. But just based on having played sports myself, it, it did not look nearly as bad as some people were reacting. And we did bring in Jansen, who a little bit struggled when he came on as a sub. Would have had a great assist to Lamella, but insisted on shooting it himself. But this was the point of bringing in Jansen, is for these situations. So if this had happened last year, it would have been absolutely devastating. It's still not good, don't get me wrong. But at least we have a physical human being that can play up front in Kane's absence. So I'm not as worried about that as other Spurs fans are. We also picked up some other injuries throughout. Uh, Musa Dembele and Eric Dyer were both subbed off after clutching the back of their legs. We were thinking hamstrings. Pochettino came out and said that they were really just cramps and that they'll be okay, which is good, but I also kind of don't believe it a whole lot. Uh, but we'll see with them. Della Ali and Kyle Walker both also came up limping during the match but seemed to have run off whatever niggles they had picked up. So... We should be okay as far as that goes, which is very important because we have had so many matches and we're about to have so many more. Um, that it, we cannot be losing members of the squad right now. And this was one of the concerns in the transfer window is that we had so many outgoings of players that we thought, you know, weren't really going to be getting a chance. But, you know, you send out Bentaleb, you send out Carroll, or sorry, not Carroll, you send out Mason and you get rid of Chadley. And all of a sudden, the squad's not really as bolstered. Uh, size-wise, as it had been in the past. So if we can squeak by this injury scare, I think that's very good, but I do think we need to address it in January. Now on to the Monaco match. First of all, I'll be fully up front. I told uh, Dylan on Twitter, uh, when asked tactical things about this Monaco game, I'm not sure. I uh, went with some friends to a pub to watch this one, and so I was much more in fan mode and drinking mode than I was in analyst mode, and I'm sorry for that. (laughs) But from my quick takes... Uh, it was obviously a very disappointing result. Uh, we attacked heavily, as our lineup would have indicated with Della Ali, quote-unquote, starting in central midfield, but really just drifting forward pretty much the whole time. Um, I really would have liked to see Dembele, and apparently Pach agreed long-term because he did come on at the half. Uh, it was just simple mistakes that led to their goals, and obviously it was very frustrating. You do it at Wembley. You do it in front of 85, 90,000, or 100,000 fans, depending on... Uh, whose quotes you want to go by, I'm going to assume it's towards the lower end of that. Um, and as Pochettino said, we as a club, as a fan base, have waited six years to be back here. And the fact that we came out a little sluggish, I think surprised everyone uh, at the club and fans alike, that we weren't really coming out there firing, which was disappointing. The second half we dominated, uh, but weren't able to put uh, a goal in, which was obviously very frustrating. Although we did have the Alderweireld header, uh, which did you know, give us a chance to get back in there for the draw. We just never did. Kane had a terrific chance that he kicked that just did not have enough power on it, allowed for a pretty easy save uh, from Monaco. So hopefully we won't see that in our next Champions League tie. Obviously we have the EFL this week instead. Um, we'll, we'll see how all of it goes. I'm less optimistic just because it would have been really nice to get a draw because the other match uh, ended in a draw between Leverkusen and Seska. So it would have been nice to kind of all been level there. Although that draw does give us a better chance of winning the group, it does not help us in terms of making sure we're in the top two, which is obviously very crucial. So we'll see how that goes. Monaco are a much better team than a lot of people thought they were, and we still outplayed them. Hopefully the results will come. Just to wrap up these two matches in a neat little bow, in our last two matches combined, we have had 46 shots, 
12 shots on target and 25 corners. We've allowed 13 shots, four shots on target, and only one corner. So 80% of the pitch, not the problem. Just have to score more and can't make mistakes at the back. Because at the end of the day, goals are what actually, you know, chooses the results in football. All right, and from there, we're going to head into the topic, which is going to be about managers. Not specifically ours, although we can get to that a bit if you'd like. But we've seen Mark Hughes at Stoke struggling a lot lately. Stoke currently last in goals for, goals against, and obviously, therefore, goal difference. They're one of the worst teams I've seen this season in any competition that I've seen. Uh, and especially considering their talent, that has to be massively disappointing. You have Swansea, who had higher aspirations, although they didn't really fill in the transfer market, drifting down there. You have West Ham, two straight 4-2 defeats. So my question for you guys is, which manager do you think has done a poor job, or which one do you think is likely going to be out the door first? Yeah, Mark Hughes is certainly um, under the most pressure, I think, out of any Premier League manager at the moment. Tony Pulis um, did himself a big favour, obviously, with a huge win for West Brom. Uh, this weekend that's kind of got him out of some real pressure I think he was certainly the favorite for me before this weekend's fixtures despite Stoke's struggling start uh, with their new Chinese takeover being ratified uh, very very soon I think he is he's still probably one of the leading contenders but certainly you can't ignore the fact that uh, Stoke keep conceding four goals um, in their Premier League games it's, it's not going to last long as a manager if, if that continues to be the case I saw a stat today that only um, Espanyol in Spain uh, have conceded more um, top flight goals in Europe's top division, top five divisions in 2016 um, wow. than Stoke. So yeah, it's, it's it's a bit pretty damning statistic. I think it's 50 goals in the calendar year, um, and when you consider we are only in September, that is a huge amount um, of goals to be conceding. And obviously, the way they've started this this Premier League campaign. Um, conceding four seemingly at will. Um, there's there's going to be a lot of ill feeling, I think, around him. He has had money to spend in the transfer market, and obviously they moved from from Ch- Tony Pulis because of the style, the playing style, and Hughes has tried to take that forward and create a more attacking um, philosophy within the team. And they've they've signed some good players. And I know they've got a few injuries at the moment. Shakiri's not playing, but you know Bojan and Altovic started today. Um, they have had some, you know, some decent players come in, and there really isn't any excuse if, you, if you're getting beat four 0 by Crystal Palace. Uh, with all due respect to, to Jay and the Eagles, beat guys, you know, that that is a really worrying trend um, for Stoke City. And unlike, you know, Alan Pardew, who started the season under pressure, um, he hasn't got a cup run or anything to cut fall back on and say, look, this is what we achieved last year. It just does seem like they did okay for the first half of last year, and then have kind of been spiraling, spiraling out of control. Since then, and yeah, he's certainly favourite. I'm looking at the bookmakers' odds now. He leads it, uh, then Tony Pulis, and then it's kind of a, a bit of a jump to the, the next guys. So I think it's a, it looks like a bit of a two-horse race at the moment, although if they get something at West Brom next week, then I suppose that will kind of ease the pressure on him and, and ramp up that pressure on Pulis, which is, is probably a good thing from Hughes' point of view, for sure. Yeah, West Brom obviously did get a big win against West Ham and Billich, which is why he might get a, a stay of execution there a bit. Uh, Mark, what do you think about the Hughes situation? Is there anyone else you think might be uh, kind of on the hot seat at the moment? Uh, no, I think it is Mark Hughes. Um, it's, it's just, like I say, it's, it's a bit of a worrying t- trend when you're losing games 4-1, 4-1, you know, 4-0. It's, uh, it's, it, it shows that um, maybe your team aren't with you. 
um, as such. But um, it's, it's really, really is between Matthews and then that, that whole Tony Pulis situation going on, on at West Brom. Um, he's always the type. He will walk away from a team. Um, as it proved with Palace a day before a season starts. So it's it's really is between them two. I think with the Paul's situation, I think he's he's more likely to walk away rather than get sacked. Um, but also the fans have been on his back for since since he came in there. So that's that's a pretty hostile situation there. I think with Mark Hughes, um, he was given a lot of credit in the last year and the season before for sort of changing the way Stoke Stokers play, but I think the transfer policy of bringing in Anatovic, um, Bojan, Shakiri, and the likes of that—they're all very mercurial players that you can't really, you can't expect them to really gel because none of them have, none of them have been consistent throughout their careers, and that's why I thought Jonathan Walter was coming back into the side today. I thought he might have, might have changed things for them, even though he's not as talented. He's just sort of a more stable figure. Um, and it, when he got sent to the stands last week, that was a, a clear sign that he's um, losing control of the situation. Um, so it wouldn't be surprise, surprising if he was, was to get sacked because I imagine wages, that, that'd be right up there for clubs outside that aren't expected to get um, top four, top six. That, that'd probably be right up there. Um, the other... The other candidates you, you sort of mentioned, Slavin Bilic, obviously he's got all the brownie points from last season and you can always say um, injuries have really played his side like the likes of Creswell and Andre um, Ayew. But considering four goals against West Brom, that's not a, not a good look at all. And really, other than Mikel Antonio, they have really been struggling this season. And obviously the, the fan unrest um, around the new stadium is um, producing a pretty pretty poor vibe around uh, West Ham Football Club. But the other one that I, I don't think anyone's men- mentioned is David Moyes at Sunderland. Mm. Um, he, he's, his transfer policy is what I feel um, could really undermine undermine his, his time there. Sam Allardyce relied a lot on experienced players to get him out of to get someone out of the quagmire that they were in last year. But you look at the players that he's brought in this season, the likes of Papa Dilibodji, who's, you know, they paid more for him than Chelsea did, and he only played 30 seconds or something for Chelsea. And that that's a very strange signing. Uh, Paddy McNair, who, who I'm not completely convinced he d- does sh- show up for Northern Ireland but the, other than his first couple of appearances from United he didn't do much there the likes of Donald Love who's very inexperienced Stephen Pienaar who I think made his debut for Sunderland this morning uh, against Tottenham but he's got a very bad injury record Didier Dong who hasn't got on the field Victor Imanichi who hasn't done anything since um, Colo Turo passed in the ball what seems like three, three four years ago um, it's very strange, strange transfer policy, and after they they they, they had a positive start to the season with um, against Man City, but watching the game against Everton last week, that that fifteen minute period where Everton just tore them to pieces, I I really worry for David Moyes um, because because he. That, in the last three clubs he's been at, Manchester United, Real Sociedad, and now um, Sunderland, he is seemingly unable to sort of arrest, arrest, you know, a downward, a downward spiral. So I could really see 
Moyes within a couple of weeks being really under the cosh into keeping his job. And as as you know, Sunderland, Sunderland's um, hierarchy isn't afraid of switching things around. Yeah, I definitely agree there, and I'm glad that uh, you mentioned Bilic after I gently tried to mention him multiple times. Um, but yeah, obviously he does have a lot of credit from last season, as you mentioned. But he crashed out of the Europa League twice, and then what's what's the point? I think it was um, Dan Watts that comes on here sometimes to talk about West Brom, and talks about how West Ham fight all season to try to get up into a European spot, and then they just throw it away. As soon as they're yeah. out. So kind of what's the point of their season if they're going to keep doing that? And now it doesn't even look like they'd be close to getting there. And I agree with you. The IU injury after you pay that much for him is very troubling. But uh, Sean came on a segment and he was saying that they like Masuaku almost as much as they like Cresswell. So even though it's a it's a knock from last year's 11, it isn't apparently viewed as a knock internally. And, I mean, you get Arbeloa. He's not up to fitness yet. You're supposed to play Sam Byram. He's not available so then you end up having to play Harvard Nordweit, uh, which I, I thought was a very sneaky signing on a free, but out of position, maybe not as, as ideal. You don't have uh, Andy. I almost said Tom. You don't have Andy Carroll. Um, but yeah, things are going very poorly for them. And another one is Swansea with uh, Guidolin, who I think most were surprised uh, when he was signed. Some were surprised when he was retained over the summer. And now things are not looking very good for them at all. Yuffie Sigurdsson cannot carry a whole team on his back and has not even been that tremendous. They'd have a chance to equalize today and just missed it, but they just uh, lost Nathan Dyer, who, <laughs> Jim, you may know. The only reason I say may is because he didn't really feature a whole lot last season with Leicester. Still got his medal. He scored that one goal against Aston Villa where he headed the ball <laughs> in, which might be his Wait, first Wait, he got headed a headed goal? <laughs> yeah, he got a headed goal to beat Aston Villa 3-2 at the King Power from 2-0 down. Um, we were 2-0 down with about half an hour to go. And he headed the ball and kind of got concussed. So that took him out for like the next six weeks or something <laughs> ridiculous. And then we barely never... The, the, I think the next time I remember seeing him was at the medal presentation yep. um, for, for the trophy. So yeah, he um, he was anonymous for most of the season. Right. But uh, I certainly wouldn't, I wouldn't want him to be um, a, an integral part of a team that is hoping exactly. to kind of maintain Premier League status. Right, and, and as I mentioned in the intro, they did not replenish the losses of IU or of Ashley Williams, and so they were in a situation where they did need Nathan Dyer, and now he's out for a couple months, and you should have never been in a position where you needed him in the first place. I totally agree with you on that point. Um, they're in big trouble, and they're dealing with Neil Taylor, who obviously plays a big role in the Welsh squad, but... Had a bit of a falling out this week with Guidolin, although he said that you know he's only worried about the football and stuff like that. But this this club is not headed in the right direction. Borja being on the bench today is a big step forward. I thought he was probably their best signing this summer, but it's not enough. The midfield isn't enough. Talking about players that you can't rely on, I said on a, a segment right before their match last week against Chelsea that you can't rely on Leroy Fair, and then he scored another goal. I think it was his fourth of the season already, third or fourth. But you can't. He is a very, very inconsistent player. When he's running hot, he's one of the better central midfielders you'll see. But that's not a very common thing. Uh, so you're dealing with that. Just there's no depth anywhere to speak of, really. Uh, I'm I'm very concerned for them. And I, I think I saw a Swansea fan earlier saying, maybe we should set Guidolin, but who would we get? And the fact that they're still in that situation after they got rid of Monk, 
I think is is just mind-boggling that they were so unprepared for that, took action like that, and are still potentially reeling from it. I realize that Swansea were amazing down the second half stretch last season. I think Gilfie Sigurdsson had the most or the second most goals in the second half of last season. But this is not a well-constructed team. Losing two key players like that and not replacing them is a real quick way to get into a relegation fight. Alright, and from that depressing thing, let's go into a more optimistic thing in Player Watch. And we're just going to be talking about players that impressed. Don't worry about players that disappointed. Unless, Dylan, you, you, you feel moved by the spirit to talk about players that have been very poor for Manchester United. But, we'll start off with you, Mark. Who impressed for you? We'll ask you to just limit it to one or two in Liverpool's win over Chelsea. Uh, okay, so, Jordan Henderson... Uh, hey, he one. scored a he scored a real good goal. <laughs> he scored. A very, no, hang on a second. Am I talking about players that were impressed or yeah. players that didn't impress? No, impressed. Sorry, oh, lovely. Yeah, Jordan Henderson and Jeannie Wijnaldum. Both of them were very, very good against Chelsea. Um, Jordan Henderson um, has had a lot of critics, England fans, and a lot of Liverpool fans. Don't think that he should be Liverpool captain. Never mind in the actual team at the moment. Uh, but he's done. He's done really well in the absence of Shan this season. He's he's a he's a learner, uh, and that's one thing that he's always done. Is is he's adopted. He's flexible. He's a, he's a very clever footballer, and um, it, I, like I was saying earlier, it'd be really interesting to see what happens when Shan comes back, where he plays, whether he comes in uh, and starts rotating a bit with Ronaldo and Lallana, or uh, if he keeps his place and uh, and Shan has a bit of bench time, but. I'd say really impressed with him and Wijnaldum. He came in at like 25, 30 million from, from Newcastle and a lot of people were wondering where he was going to play. Was he going to be in the front three or was he going to be in, in the central three? And he's just slotted in really well. Um, really impressed. Lalana as well. I think his change of position and just Klopp's influence on a whole since um, He's come in last October as being, I mean, Lalana has been the one person that's, that's really, really improved. Um, Southampton fans will, will will testify to this, but when he first signed, he could only last for 60, 70 minutes. Um, for a long, long time, you got to 60 minutes and Lalana would just drop out of games. And um, his fitness and his work rate is just unreal. Um, really impressed with him. And, um, yeah, it's hard to limit it down to just one or two or three players because the the, the whole whole team did really well on, on Friday night. But those are the three that really impressed. Yeah, very still very frustrated that we were willing to pay thirty for Sissoko, but not the twenty five for Wijnaldum, where he thought he was going to sign with us. Whoops, moves down to Liverpool. Obviously, not maybe not the start he would have liked, but it sounds like he has turned things around of late. Jim, who impressed for Leicester? Um, it's obvious, but obviously Islam Soleimani looked particularly good, um, considering it was his home debut and only his second um, his second start for the team. We were personally really impressed, and obviously first chance that a lot of people have had to see him in person, unless they made to the trip to Bruges in midweek. So that's an encouraging signing when you you, you know Leicester aren't used to making thirty million pound signings, um, so we're certainly kind of wanting to expect great things from him. Um, on that front, I, I would hesitate to, to give him man of the match necessarily because I feel like Christian Fuchs was a better shout for that. Um, he was exceptional defensively. He was so composed on the ball, made numerous kind of tackles and interceptions to snuff out whatever kind of Burnley had going down that left wing. 
and he also put the assist in for Soleimani's first goal as well. And I think in terms of like fantasy, I know it's something that a lot of guys that listen to this podcast are, are very into. I think Christian Fuchs is going to be a kind of big um, player in terms of a defender who can chip in with, with assists this year, particularly now that we've got Soleimani, who's a bit more of a, an asset in the air. Um, his dead ball um, and long throw um, prowess is really going to come to the fore now that we're going to kind of actively target that aerial presence a bit more. Um, so, yeah, he was certainly impressed for me. Mares was, was a lot better than we've seen, I think, off the back of his performance in the Champions League, which was excellent. He put in another kind of solid um, performance, and I certainly hope that that's the kind of springboard to getting him back to the kind of form that we saw last year, because that's essentially if we've got kind of high, lofty ambitions of, of getting back into Europe next year, um, that he plays his part. All right, and Dylan, who impressed, if anyone, for Manchester United? Um, I'm a little tad. A couple of people impressed me from that game, but really, I'm stretching it a little bit. Obviously, Marcus Rashford, he's he's been phenomenal since obviously since coming into the United side last year. But in this game, he was he was probably our leading light. He he kept running out the Watford defenders even when there wasn't many people running around him. Um, and he drew drew a lot of fouls, which which is good that good to see that he doesn't need the players around him performing for him him himself to be performing um and the other one is luke shaw he's impressed me not just this game but the last few games he's flying up the touchline he's probably the best attacking full, uh, fullback in the league for mine um and i feel that he's he could be united's left back for another decade and he was he was okay <laughs> against watford fair enough yeah uh, for tottenham i i four went Set of word uh, I I for foregoed anyway I passed on Youngman's son uh, to give it to Christian Eriksen who I thought had been very disappointing and then had just recently turned things around this week no Eriksen Youngman's son was very good yet again I feel like sometimes he tries to do too much with the ball um, but he was clearly our our main creative outlet and a team devoid of Eriksen and and uh, Eric Lamella sorry um, so I, I was very impressed with him and. You know, there were rumors that he was trying to move back to Germany. Uh, there, even Pochettino remarked on it recently and said that after he came back from the Olympics, he was hoping to move back to Germany, but uh, decided to stay, fight for his place, and has done a very good job thus far. Would have liked to have seen more from him uh, against Monaco in the Champions League on that big pitch. You'd think that Son and his pace really would have uh, unlocked a lot of things for us. Wasn't as successful there, but... Uh, in the last two Premier League matches, very hard to fault him for anything he's been doing. So very pleased with him on the whole. Uh, anyone else that impressed? No, I mean, not not Kane, really. Uh, yeah, no, not, not particularly. I think Kyle Walker has been understatedly very good, so I'll, I'll bring him up. Um, just because he may... He, it's possible he's been our best player this whole season um, combined. So big, big ups to, to Kyle Walker for really, really improving. I don't know how much of it is, is really improvement based on the fact that he can now just lock in next to Toby Alderweireld, who is obviously one of the better center backs in the league, and their partnership might be helping. Toby can also help back him up at times. But Walker's positioning does seem to have improved as well, and, and he no longer is just relying on his pace, which is a terrifying prospect for opposing teams because he was fully serviceable when he was only relying on his pace. Now that he's actually found decent positioning and can use his pace only as an asset instead of a get out of free get out of jail free card, he's been very dangerous. And I think 
you know, while a lot of the Spurs players were disappointing at the Euros, I don't think Kyle Walker was, was to blame for anything, really. And so it's been very nice to see him kind of transform from more of a quote-unquote athlete to more of a full, well-rounded footballer. Alright, very quickly we're going to touch on match previews. Some of us may not know our opposition that well, uh, but I'll start off with Tottenham versus Gillingham. They are currently at the dizzying heights of 13th place in League 1. I don't know why I said something that negative. Clearly that means we're going to lose now. Haven't knocked on any wood. Uh, Like I said, I think we'll see a lot of rotation. I think we'll see a fair few of the kids in there. Obviously expecting to win this one. I don't even know if we'll risk Jansen, although I'm not sure who he would play up front in his stead. Um, But now that we need him in the Premier League, and maybe in the Champions League, depending on if that two- to three-week timetable, I guess, is, is correct... It'll be uh, it'll be a tight one, but hopefully, hopefully, even with the kids, we'll be able to pull through here. And I, I'd expect we'd see Trippier and Davis and and your usual rotated guys, like I said, Onama Winks and Cameron Carter Vickers, be the young guys that you might want to keep an eye on in this one. All right, and Mark, uh, you are going to be playing Darby. Uh, how are you viewing this one heading into it? Darby, I, I honestly didn't even. No, there's a league cup on this week. Derby County. Um, yeah, we, we 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 should win. It depends on. I'd like to see. I'd like to see some players rested, but it, it's early in the season still. I, I think he played quite a strong team against Burton uh, because he said players that need to be rested yet, and I think he, he might even play a strong team. Um, to be honest, I, I, my my head's just all about Hull on on, on Saturday. That that is the, a really big game. Um, it is lovely this season not to have that Europa League distraction. I know we got to the final last year, but it really didn't do anything for our, our league form. So, um, yeah, um, I, I reckon we'd win. And then we'll go on to Hull and hopefully get a, a three points against them. All right, Jim, I'm going to forego you because yours is uh, actually preview worthy. <laughs> we'll talk to Dylan first about their upcoming match with Northampton. Yeah, so we're facing Northampton, who they were promoted from League 2 into League 1 last season. Um, Jose's a bit of a League Cup fanboy, so I'm pretty sure he's going to be taking this relatively seriously. I hope the likes of, you know, maybe Regan Poole, Fosu Mensah, um, Herrera starts, stuff like that. But United, even with some younger players in and players that haven't played as much, uh, we should have the quality to move Move, move through this game into the next round. But yeah, we're look, just looking forward to the next EPL round as well. All right, and Jim, obviously I just introduced this as a big match. It's Leicester versus Chelsea. It's Premier League against Premier League opposition. Leicester obviously flying high at the moment, as I mentioned at the top of the show, having won the Champions League and the Premier League. Uh, Chelsea have obviously just lost, not in any European competitions. How confident are you heading into this one, even knowing that there will be some rotation? Yeah, I think it's going to be more like a Premier League versus Premier League reserves game. Um, <laughs> it's 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 difficult to to necessarily um, get too excited if your team draws a lower league club. I guess um, mostly because of the fact there's there's a huge downside and not too much upside. Um, if if you beat the likes of Northampton Town or Derby County, who you know Derby County managed by Nigel Pearson, really really struggling this year, so um, I think they should be um, they should be quite easily dispatched if if league form is anything to go by. Northampton have quite a decent record of upsetting big teams. I think Liverpool last year in 2015 they knocked out on penalties. I remember 
Um, so yeah, that's a potentially a bit of banana skin, I guess. But hopefully they they kind of come through that. The Leicester Chelsea game is a difficult one um, because we don't know who's going to play. I think we'll see a lot of rotation from Leicester, as I said. I think a full ten changes is likely. Um, and bar the, the goalkeeper, because I don't think Casper Schmeichel will be brought back. I think he'll be given time to recover from his concussion, um, which he picked up uh, only on Friday in training. So it's not like he's had a huge amount of time to recover from that already. Um, it will be exciting to the likes of um, Kaputska get a first run out. And I think Leonardo Ujero and Shinji Okazaki will start up front. It, it'll be good to see the, the youth team players, I guess. That's the, the, the big upside is the, the guys who are doing the groundwork behind the scenes and supporting the team in terms of like doing the job in the under-23s and the, the development squad and helping those those guys progress as they come back from injury. I don't think Jeffrey Schlupp's going to feature. I think he's still struggling to get back. So um, it, it's going to be a big opportunity for the likes of Damari Gray as well. Like a huge, exciting prospect. We're so excited about Damari Gray at the club. So it's it's a great opportunity for him to show everyone what he can do. And yeah, it's nice to have a kind of meaningful game if, if there's so much in the, this kind of early stage of the season of the, the EFL Cup, um, which sounds wrong to say at the League Cup, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, it should be a good game and hopefully um, Chelsea rotate heavily too. So to, to give us a chance of getting through, um, should be a good match. All right. And with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or want to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Thanks very much. Uh, yeah, my name's been Mark Simpson, and I've been uh, representing Liverpool. Um, like I said earlier, I am on, on Twitter, but it's a locked account, so I, I don't really accept people. But if you wanted to have a go, it's at Mr. Mark Simpson. Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at JimNight88. I'm also the gaming content manager for a company called Perform. So a lot of different betting company content going out there. So if betting on football is your thing, then by all means, give us a follow and, and kind of see what we're putting out um, through various channels like Soccerway and Goal.com as well. Yeah, thanks for having me on. My name is Dylan Arvella. I'm on Twitter at Dylan Eloy Arvella, and I host a weekly podcast, which is called The Box to Box Podcast, which you can find on iTunes and on Twitter at TBTB Podcast. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can reach me on Twitter at Kevroff. Uh, also listen to the Championship Roundtable and Fantasy Roundtable that are both on this very channel. I also write sometimes over at TheEaglesBeak.com talking about fantasy. Also check out PlayTaga.com and all of their stuff. And uh, Rob and I of the FPL Roundtable have some interesting stuff coming up soon that we will fully announce once it has launched. Uh, so on that little bit of intrigue, that's it for us today. Thank you guys so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 